You're listening to the Promised Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by William Hinn. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you playing behind me. Awesome. Well, I was going to... You guys doing good this morning? How many of you never heard me before? Just so I can see. Okay. Well, we'll pray for you. Um, this morning, or first service, I was pretty pastoral and uh, taught on the character of the Lord. I walked into the green room and the Lord really switched it up on me. So uh, if you were hoping to maybe get what I did the first service, you can watch it online. Um, but it's going to get a little intense. Is that okay? And I actually feel like worshiping again. So we, we just don't know what's going to happen. Is that all right? outside the program. You know, I found, I found this, that the presence of God is usually outside of the routine. It's usually outside of us setting him up into our structure and the way that we want it done and the way that seems comfortable, but then just finding him outside of ourselves is where God can rush in because really this is his dance to lead. We just follow. Like, you know, that worship even and prayer, it's not generated, it's joined. Let me say it again. How many of you know there's worship happening in heaven right now? Like right now, the hosts of heaven are crying out before the Lord, holy, 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 right now in this moment. So so we're not here creating our own atmosphere. We're here joining one. We aren't here trying to do something for the Lord. We're getting into the Lord and ministering to him. Like it's not even your secret place. He brings you into his secret place. So I just felt like, man, I walked back into the green room and you know what I saw? I feel like the Lord's about to shake some things. And I saw a, uh, a revival breaking out and I saw a line wrapped around this building when I walked into the green room. And I thought, Lord, what you wanna do in here is gonna be so offensive to religion. It's what hit my heart. This is gonna be a little different than last service. That's okay. What, what hit my heart is, is God is about to shake some things in this area in Washington state and, and just in the West in general. And, and people are hungrier than we think that they are. There is a generation, I'm telling you, we, we have a, a church in Dallas and we're less than a year old and it's pretty amazing what's happening. But you know, I'm not the, the normal pastoral type of person. I'm working on it. I'm trying to be more loving and caring and you know, taking time to counsel people and deal with their problems and these things. I mean, that's what we do. We're shepherds. But you know, I, 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 I'm going to just share a little testimony with you. On Mother's Day, we had service and, and I preached this Mother's Day message because I thought that's what you're supposed to do as a pastor. You know, it's Mother's Day, you preach a Mother's Day message. It's Father's Day, you preach a Father's Day message. On the 4th of July, we talk about our nation. And, and I thought that that's just what the people are used to. Maybe that's what they like. Maybe that's what will bring them back. And, and it was a good message. And, you know, pastors will understand that sometimes you preach and you're just like, man, he wasn't on that one. They thought so. But like you and me know, sorry. And I got in my car after service and, and the Lord corrected me. And he, and he spoke to me and he said, yeah, you're pastoring, but you better stay true to what I've called you to. And the next week I thought, okay, Lord, I'm gonna stay true to what you've called me to. And if they come back the next week, I'll know that this is you. Just started. And we talked about offensive worship and Jesus being a rock of offense and how revival is always messy. A move of God is always messy. It always, there will always be friction. If there's not persecution, there's something wrong because blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecution in scripture, promised. Exciting. What was it that caused the disciples to get beaten with whips and, and then go and get excited about it and show the other disciples, listen, they all left him. They all left him on the cross, but something happened after the outpouring of the spirit that caused them to go right here. And then when it happened, they didn't go and complain and process through what just happened with them with their friends. They got together and they began to ask for more boldness to preach the gospel more. And the room shook and the Holy Spirit fell again. How many of you are hungry for the Lord? 
I'm telling you, there is a generation. So that next service I preached and, and we really went after it. And, I, and in our church, I mean, our Sunday morning, people were jumping over chairs. I'm thinking, all right, Lord, I guess they're hungrier than I thought. I guess they want you more than I thought. Like, I, I'm telling you, there is a generation, and, it, and it's not based on your age. I, I met with a 70-year-old couple at our church that sat down with me, and they had tears in their eyes after service one day, and they said, we are so hungry for the Lord. And I thought, man, when I'm like 80, I want to be burning. Like Jesus freak to all the young people. I want to be the crazy grandfather that's obsessed and won't shut up about Jesus. Is that okay to say in church? The Lord wants to do a new thing. And when God does a new thing, we can't do anything based on memory. When God wants to establish a new thing, you can't do it like it used to work. I have pastors after pastors after pastors come. What I love about this house is you guys don't play. I just love it. Come up here and we'll just see what happens. But you know, like I have pastors and pastors coming to me saying, listen, you gotta make sure that you don't, like the people wanna get to lunch, so don't take too long. I didn't know Chili's died for you. We build churches, see, and I'm just telling you, they'll fix it, you guys will fix it when I'm done. I'm just telling you, this message is not gonna be for everybody because God is gonna find himself a remnant that's gonna see the glory of God. But what it's going to take is people that are not going to give their opinion, people who are not going to build churches for the visitors. Because visitors didn't die for the church either. What visitors need is Jesus. So we might as well have church for Jesus. We might as well get back to the original. So I walked into the green room and the Lord gave me a picture and I, and I believe that God is gonna do something so unique in this house where people are gonna go, if, you can, if I can just get in that building. I heard that when you go into that building that bodies are healed. I heard that when you, if you can just get in that building that man, marriages are restored, that kids are coming home. Man, I feel that in my heart. Some of you are believing for your kids. Kids coming home that have left their house that want no part of this Jesus that you serve. I'm telling you, there's gonna be something that's gonna take place. And it's just, just the way he is, he'll do it during COVID-19. Just the way he is, he'll do it when riots are happening just in the city over. The, just the way that Jesus is, is he'll find himself a remnant that are not getting caught up in the debate and giving their opinion, but a remnant, a Jesus people that say, you know what? Everyone that walks in, we're gonna wash their feet and everyone that walks in is gonna get Jesus. And I'm telling you, God wants to do something here, but it's gonna take friction. I feel like the Lord wants to release something today. He, he, it's gonna cause offense. And it's not gonna be purposeful, but it's gonna cause it. I want you guys to go to 1 Peter with me, chapter two. Because listen, Jesus came to give us a decision. You know that word judgment? It says that he, he judged the earth on the cross. The greatest act of love, the Bible calls judgment. That word judgment means verdict. That word judgment means when God comes to judge, God comes to present a decision. You know what I'm hungry for? I'm hungry for preaching again in America that causes you to make a decision. I'm hungry for preaching again that causes you to go, I'm either all in or I'm all out. A, a, a gospel that doesn't allow you to stay on the fence. But a gospel that says, we're going to get back to some preaching. Like, like, when's the last time we talked about the judgment seat of Christ? I'm not going to talk about that today. That's up to them. But what if, what if God wants to do something, but it's going to take some tearing down and some rooting out? What if God wants to do something that is going to shake the religious system of America that we see? Listen, we, we're in Texas. We're in the Bible belt. We want to throw the belt out the window. People come and it's amazing. And, and man, they're like, I'm going to have an hour and a half away from my kids. We're going to stick them in childcare rather than church. And we come just, 
to get our fill to feel like a Christian, but the Lord is offering a decision in this hour. Again, if you want something more pastoral, you can listen to the last session online. Just felt something burning in my heart. And during worship, it started burning in my heart again. But there is hungry people in this room that God is going to raise up for not only Woodland, but for Portland, for the entire Western side of the United States. It's going to cause people to go, man, there's a promise taking place in the promised church. And if you can just get inside that building, God will mark your life. Like if, if I can just get in there, God's going to do something. And you know what, Lord, what if our services become three hours, but we can't get out the seat because we're not leaving until you touch us. Like, Lord, we're not going home until we go home different. We don't just want to come and get touched, Lord. We want to come and be transformed into the very same image. You know what? Sometimes we don't get to glory because we don't wait long enough on the presence. We don't know how to wait. We just squirm. We go into the secret place. Lord, it's been 15 minutes. What do I do now? The Lord wants to release glory. The Lord wants to walk glory into cities. The Lord, listen, this is our job to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's going to take some people, some sons of God and daughters of God that are saying we aren't going to fit in with the system and try to change the world looking like the world. I said it in the last service that I think that sometimes the world has evangelized the church better than the church has evangelized the world. And we become relevant so that the world feels comfortable when they come in. The world shouldn't feel comfortable in here. The presence of Jesus shakes everything. It, it, the presence of Jesus doesn't allow any other presence to remain. And it's not a beating. It's not hard. His love is so consuming. His fire, I feel the Lord, his fire is so overwhelming that the world can't hang with it, but the world wants it. They just don't know it. So when the world comes in, let's not give them the world. Let's give them Jesus. But Jesus, here's the key. Jesus is a rock of offense. Here's what it says. First Peter, this is first Peter chapter two, starting in verse seven. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Listen to this. This is Luke 12, 49 through 53. I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But a baptism to be but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Verse 51 of Luke 12. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? <laughs> what? Lord, I thought you are peace. How many of you know there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper? Sometimes just keeping the peace enables sin. But when you're a peacemaker, it's saying, if I've got to take a sword out to cut away everything that belongs so you can get who, him who is the Prince of Peace, you see, peace doesn't calm everything around you. It calms your heart. So when everything around you is crazy, you're still calm. Do you suppose that I came to give, you, to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all. This is the Lord's words. This isn't my message. This is his. This is him. I tell you, not at all but rather division. Jesus, is that you? You don't cause division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Those are the words of Jesus. It's delightful. You see, he's not after us having an answer to calm riots. He's after the answer coming inside our hearts and walking into a riot and everything about our life is peace in the midst of a storm. The Lord is after 
raising a people that are going to shake the system. Like, you know, when Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church, that word ekklesia in the, in the Greek, it wasn't at that time like a, like Sunday morning church, like we know church. That word actually was not a, was not a very good word in that time. It, that word ekklesia, it, it's as if he was saying upon this rock, I'm going to build my gang. Upon this rock, I'm going to build the ones that don't fit. The ones that just don't seem to fit the system, the misfits. I'm going to gather them in one. And what I'm going to cause with a remnant is going to shake the whole earth. You see what Jesus did with 12 that the Pharisees hated. I remember when I started the church, the Lord spoke to me, you know, we're doing all the programs to get the people. And the Lord said, why don't you start with 12 like I did? We want the 5,000, but the 5,000 were hungry and they needed food and they were needy. But the 12 flipped the world upside down. You see, if we could just find 12, just 12 that are burning, that actually live out the gospel, what could our cities look like? So in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. All these men left Jesus, all of them. Peter denies him. Judas walks away from him. And this is how beautiful Jesus is. I said it in the last service. You know, Judas didn't completely betrays Jesus, but he betrayed him with clean feet that Jesus had just washed just a minute ago inside of a room. So they all walk away. He comes obviously storming out of a grave and the Holy Spirit's poured out in, in Acts 12. And I love this because here was the result to the, to the world and the Christian society at that time to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says that, they heard a sound, you got like a mighty rushing wind. He came in, they saw tongues of fire. The Holy Spirit is baptizing people. And here was the, here was the result of an outpouring of the Spirit. Some were bewildered, which that word is confused. Some were amazed, awesome. Some were astonished, others mocked. And then even in later on in chapter five, it says that the Pharisees were jealous and offended. So here is a result. Here's what you can expect with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Confusion, amazement, astonishment. People are going to mock you. People are going to be offended. People are going to be jealous. Think about David bringing the glory of God into a city. He's dancing like a wild man with no clothes on. His wife hates him. She's, she is disgusted with him. He comes up. She said, oh, the, the king today was dancing today. And, and he responds, basically, the Lord chose me over your father. So I'm chosen. So I'm going to dance. The glory of God follows this crazy man in with an offended wife watching him. You, you know, you look at the woman who comes into the room, just breaks the alabaster jar wide open and, and pours oil and frankincense all over his feet, precious oil a salary worth of oil. And what did it say? Even Jesus' own disciples were offended. Even the ones that walked with him were offended because how could you waste all this money? How could you waste all this on him? You see, I believe what Jesus is looking for is a bunch of people who are gonna waste all their time, all their money, all their life on Jesus. People that can't get enough. Like, listen, in the, old, in the New Testament, we don't preach it, but people would come and they would sell all they had. Jesus doesn't want 10%. He wants 100%. They would sell their lands. And when people would lie to the Holy Spirit, they drop dead. That messes with all of our theology. We don't preach it because we don't understand it. But this is way more intense than we think. There's much more of a decision than we think. It's way more in than you think. It says that people feared, feared the apostles and no one dared join them. What are you talking about, Lord? We should be a welcoming place. Lord, people should come to the church and really, like, feel loved. Yes, they should. You know, like, I had a, I had a, we had, I got onto our leaders the other day. It's not being recorded, so they'll never see this. Because um, someone came to the church, and in three weeks, they would, no one talked to them. I'm like, that never can happen again. So it's not about any of that. Yes, people need to feel love, but people need to be transformed. Right. 
people need to be changed. People need to see the price that he paid that will cost everything. So listen. Wow, it's already that time. Okay. You know, let's just get the whole worship team up here right now. Let's just do it right now. I'm going to read something. I'm going to read the second service. Praise God. So there's nothing after this. (laughs) Except lunch. Fast. We're all going to fast. There's no chilies. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. (laughs) So listen to this. I want to read to you a a couple pieces of revival history, and I'm telling you it's going to pop off in here. Listen to this. There's common threads amongst all these movements. How many of you ever read the book, God's Generals? Oh, you'll be done if you read it. But I did this research about all these different revivals that we've seen. And, and I believe what the Lord is asking us to steward is a, is a culture, not just for our church, but for this church, for those that God has assembled together. I, I might have a different church, but I'm assembled with you guys. Like we are the body of Christ. I, I can't tell my left hand, I have no need of you. Like in order for us to see the glory of God hit the earth, which he promised us as the waters cover the sea, he's going to fill the earth with the glory of God. In order for that to take place, it's going to take a bride that has made herself ready. It's going to take us walking together with one heart. So listen, the more in, in agreement that we can become, the more change that we're going to see. And so we all have to go after this. This is not just like, I'm tired of just the revivals out in the middle of nowhere. Like we need a body of people that their lives have become revival. And it's, it's unstoppable because it's life now, not just one time thing. So here, here's a common thread amongst all past revivals. And I want you to write this down if you know how to spell it. Restorationism and rejection. That word... It's, it's a motive behind, the motive behind all restoration movements is to tear down the walls of separation by a return, listen to this, that word means by a return to the practice of the original. That word restorationism is to tear down every wall of separation so that we can return back to the original. A hundred percent of revivals that I studied dealt with rejection, offense, and oftentimes those in prior generations, the more experienced ones, saw it as a rebellion. The Jesus movement in the late 1960s and early 1970s, it says of the Jesus movement, the Jesus movement was, a restor- was restorationist in theology, speaking to the return of the original life of the early Christians. It was said a young generation was tired of religion. You know that without the Jesus movement, so many people came against the Jesus movement because these people didn't look like church. They looked like they needed to shower. And God's about to raise the Jesus people again. They're going to come in and they ain't going to look like church. But the Jesus movement, without the Jesus movement, you know that we wouldn't have like the electric guitars that we have today in church. And, and everyone in the world was like, man, this is a rebellion. They're, they're coming against a system just to rebel. And, and they brought in drums and electric guitars and, and they liked rock music. So they brought it into church. And, and you can, everyone can say, this would not be the same without our drummer and our electric guitar player. Thank you. But people came against it. The Great Awakening in the 1700s, religion was becoming more formal and less personal during this time. Christians were feeling complacent with their methods methods of worship, and some were disillusioned with how wealth and rationalism were dominating culture. Many people began to crave the Lord. Man, right now, with everything going on in the world, people need to start craving the Lord. The world needs to look at something and say, I want that. There is something they have found, and I think that they're crazy, but maybe just maybe they have found something that's greater than my life. The stage was set for a renewal of faith, and in the late 1720s, a revival began to take root as preachers altered their messages and got back to hunger for the pure word. I love this one. This is the Azusa Street Revival. William Seymour was invited to a church in Los Angeles to preach. When he arrived, 
He preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but later was locked out of the church because they rejected his teaching. One of the church members that had been impacted by his message, in, message invited William, great name, to have meetings at his house and the Lord broke out. The participants were criticized by some secular media and Christian theologians for behaviors considered to be outrageous and unorthodox, especially at that time. A resident of the neighborhood described the happenings at the house and said it like this. They shouted for three days. Man, I feel like this youth camp is just gonna, we're just gonna stay in here and go crazy for three, four days. They shouted for three days and three nights. This is an actual account of someone saying this. It was Easter season. The people came from everywhere. By the next morning, there was no way to gather near the house. Thousands were gathered around the house. As people came, they would fall under God's power. That'll mess with our religion. And the whole city was stirred. They shouted until the foundation of the house actually gave out. But no one was hurt. It started with rejection, but what started with rejection turned into revival. I got a word one time from someone actually in this room that said, God is going to anoint you for friction. I said, I don't know about that one, but I'm finding something. We don't have to try to offend people. Just give them the word. It'll take care of that on its own. You want God to anoint you with some friction that causes like, like you're not just going to go the same way as everyone else. We're not just going to be copies of copies, you know, like one person says this and I say this and we hear preachers preach and we say, I want to preach like that. No, God gave you a voice. The Toronto blessing, so many manifestations were happening that they took a survey because of the controversy, controversy around it. 90% that went said they were more in love with Jesus than they had been at any other point in their lives after going to the meetings. And 88% of married respondents stated that they were also more in love with their spouse. I had a, a good friend that went to the Toronto Blessing and he said he was struggling in his heart. Any, there, there's some people that maybe you're there right now where you're really trying to get to understand God, but God is not like a He's not a method and a theology and a doctrine. He's more than that. He's not theory. Like he wants to surpass your brain and hit your heart and then change the way that you think. God can't be understood in our minds. He has to renew our minds. Give us the mind of Christ so you can see him. And so this guy said, man, I was in this place of trying to comprehend God, but you can't comprehend him without an encounter with his love. What does it say? That we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the height, the depth to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That word knowledge in Greek means science. If we don't have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that surpasses what science can explain, God just might become a theory in our life. He might just be the message that I believe in rather than the message of my life. He might just be the doctrine that I can preach really well because I know the letter, but the letter will kill you. The spirit brings life. Listen, how many people hold up the Bible today and we can twist the scriptures and we use the Bible to debate. We use the Bible to say, I listen, I don't agree with you. Here's, here's why healing's not for today. The letter, if we just focused on the letter, you'd be confused because the letter kills, but without the Holy Spirit, the Bible is just words on pages. But when the Holy Spirit hits your life, all of a sudden that thing comes to life. And now you're not just reading a book along with all the other books you're reading, but you're breathing in the breath of God with every word. And so this, my friend came in to the revival and he said, man, I was caught up all in my head. And he said, I pulled into the parking lot. And when I, this is what God, I feel like God's going to do here. He said, I pulled into the parking lot. And when I just pulled my car into the parking lot, my car began to shake. You know, sometimes, like how many of you know, the Bible says that we'll see signs and wonders, but it doesn't tell us what the signs and wonders are. Paul said, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. What is he saying? We steward what we don't understand. You're not going to get it all. If you did, you'd be God. There's something about the fear of the Lord, this mystery that says, Lord, why do you shake cars? Because he can. Well, I don't like that. Well, get over yourself. 
Why does God shake rooms? Why do people fall? Listen, you know, there's no explanation in the account of John. They come to arrest him in the book of John. They come to arrest Jesus in the garden and a whole militia comes to him, an entire militia. Some of you grew up watching my uncle, Benny Hinn, going, man, that's weird. I thought the same thing until I had the jacket flung at me. (laughs) He didn't like that one. But I always be like, Lord, why is like, why do people fall? Why is there manifestations? It doesn't make sense to me. Is this okay? Okay. In John, they come to the garden and they ask Jesus, are you Jesus of Nazareth? They want to arrest him. And he responds. This is all he says. I am he. That's all he said. And the whole militia falls back. It doesn't explain it. Why? Because it doesn't have to. He doesn't owe you an explanation. And so I'm like, Lord, why did they fall? Well, why did John fall on the Lord's day when he saw the glory of God? Like a dead man, it says. Like people are like, man, I'm not going to fall. Wait till the glory of God reps you, ruins your reputation. Like the Bible's not about our dignity. It's not part. I love what Todd says. He says, dignity is not part of the fruit of the spirit. Just get over you and say, Lord, I don't care what it looks like. I just want it. So listen, this is Brownsville. The Brownsville revival started because a remnant was hungry to get right with God. And and during the revival, nearly 200,000 people gave their lives to Jesus in five years. You can't have revival without friction. Community is not, it's not just some trendy thing in church today. These are my peeps. And we all dress the same, talk the same, and sound the same. Community is a body of people that say, we're going to get together and we're willing to lay our lives down for this thing. That when the whole world is, is trying to force their way into the church, getting the pastors to join the debate, I'm telling you, you guys can understand this. This, I started a church at the worst time possible, but could it be the best? I started a church and then COVID happened. And I'm like, well, there goes the church. We started a church and then, and then racism started taking place in our streets. I started a church and all of a sudden all these things start happening and I'm like, Lord, just give me one year of experience so I know how to respond to people. And no matter what I say, people are offended because that's just the way it's going to be. And everyone has their opinion of everything. You know, I heard, I heard uh, one time T.D. Jakes, he was on TV and they asked him about same-sex marriage on national TV on a secular news station. I love what he said. His response said, my opinion doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not going to give my opinion, but here's what the word says. Can we get back to the word? Can we stop preaching to please people, but preach to please God? Because listen, when you preach to please God, people are changed. But when you preach to please people, you say that you're everything. And we're leading them down a road of destruction that says, you're good, you'll be okay. No, no, no. We have to present a decision to people that say, listen, if Jesus was a rock of offense and we are standing on that rock, our church will be offensive. And there's nothing that we can do about that, but we're after shaking the religious spirit. God wants to remove the religious spirit out of Texas. Listen, where we are, every church is massive. Worship 15 minutes as if we're worshiping for them and not for him. People are like, well, let's just get over worship. We got to get to the message. When was it about you? Man, the Lord wants to shake everything. And in my heart, I feel like, like there's about to be this release in this house where you guys are just going to have, man, Lord, this is you. If everyone leaves, I mean, I got up in front of my church. I said, listen, if you all leave, I'm, I love you, but you're welcome to go. But we don't want to see you go, but we love you. But if everyone leaves, but the presence of God stays, there'll be two in the bed. One will be taken. That, we've made that about the rapture. That word taken is apprehended. People in homes will, will have parents that'll come against you because of what you believe. Listen, my uncle, when my uncle, most people don't know this story, my uncle gave his life to Jesus 
the whole family came against him. My grandfather told my uncle, if you preach Jesus, I will disown you. They were Greek Orthodox, grew up in Israel. My dad would tell me that they shared a room together and they thought my Uncle Benny was losing his mind. They thought he was a nut. He would go into his closet for eight hours a day and spend time with Jesus. And he said he'd come out and he was talking different and he looked different. And we all thought he was crazy. And, and so we all came against him. They all mocked him. They all, they all were offended by him. They thought, how could you leave the church that we grew up in? So secretly they watched his life and one by one, there was eight of them just on my dad's side. One by one, they all gave their lives to Jesus behind their parents' backs. My brother said, I snuck down on the couch and I thought my brother was losing it, but I would get home late from work and he would be on his knees in the room and I would look under the door and I would see him on his knees and hear him crying. And I would get so frustrated and I would say, I just wanna get in and go to sleep. It's one in the morning, they shared a room. My uncle would be weeping, saying, just five more minutes, please, just five more minutes. And he'd say, I would fall asleep in the hallway. And when he would finally open the door and let me in, he said, there was something tangible in there that I couldn't deny. My, if something just felt different. And so he secretly came and he gave his life to the Lord with my uncle. And so then my uncle started holding meetings. He had a stuttering problem. He got up to preach, God loosened his tongue. So we started holding meetings and thousands would come and all the brothers and sisters were secretly, they were all secretly serving at his meetings and my grandparents had no idea. So one day my grandfather, this is a true story, my grandfather is reading the newspaper, having a cup of coffee in the morning and he sees a picture of his son and promoting a meeting that night. And so my grandparents didn't say anything to any of the siblings. So all the siblings go to this meeting and they're making up stories and everything. They go to this meeting and my grandparents walk in and they sit in the back. My dad said he's in the back. My uncle's on stage. My dad said he's in the back waving, going like mom and dad are here. And my uncle said, I couldn't even look in their direction. I'm almost done, just stay with me. I couldn't even look in their direction because I would feel my stutter start to come back. And he said, so I just preached and I didn't look and, and I prayed for people and God healed people. And he said, so I went into the parking lot and waited till 2 a.m. Because I thought maybe they left. And he thought maybe if I just stay out long enough, they'll be asleep when I get home. So he waits till 2 a.m., he pulls up to the house. He said he walked into the house and they're both sitting in the living room on the couch waiting for him. My uncle said he began to shake in fear and my grandfather was a, we found out my grandfather was in the Mossad, like the Israeli CIA 30 years after he passed away. Like this was a beast of a man. He come, tells my uncle to come into the room. My uncle comes in shaking and they, like my, grandfather looked at him and said I didn't see my son up there he said that was the Lord I want to know the Jesus that you know and they both got on their knees and gave their life to Jesus man there's all kinds of opinions all kinds of stuff but it wasn't for just one just one willing to sacrifice just one willing to come against mocking just one willing to come against persecution and being disowned, if just one wouldn't have said yes, my whole family wouldn't even be Christians, let alone being used all over the world. It's not because of my anointing that I'm standing here, it's because someone in a generation before me said yes. You see, our yes will affect our children, it'll affect our children's children, but listen, if you just wanna be the common church goer, I can't say it for this church, but what I can tell you for my church is we're not looking for just common church goers. There's a lot of churches with great programs there is a lot of places that'll really make you feel warm and cozy inside, but then you find this, this, the some specific spots that cause you to make a decision. And you find these groups of believers that they're a little bit off and just there's something about them. They're a little bit crazy. They're a little bit over the top. Their pastor comes up and just gets on his knees and, and everyone just sits here singing in the spirit. What even is that? But there's something about that that I want. There's something real that a generation is crying out for. A real Jesus that actually changes everything. So I'm just going to ask you a question and then we're going to be done. As you stand to your feet. If you're here and looking at the book of Acts, like it says, no one dared join 
the apostles, it's the same as if they were saying no one jumped in haphazardly. No one just said, I'm going to try this thing out. But if they were going to say yes, it was going to, they were saying, Lord, I'm willing for this to cost me everything. My uncle says, when you give your life to Jesus, not your confession, but you actually believe it in your heart, when you give your life to Jesus, what you're saying is, Lord, don't spare me. So if in your heart, you know, without a shadow of a doubt that you need to get back to the original, that you're gonna be one that's gonna say, Lord, I'm making a commitment today to bring revival, make my life revival. I'm willing to be one to bring it to this city. I want you to come join me in the front. My, my sense, not that there's been anything wrong, but my sense is that a shift is going to take place and that this is going to get out of your guys' control. When you lose control of something, you're in a beautiful place. I, I, I just sense in my heart that the people here, the hunger in this room, what, what I've sensed during worship, what I've sensed every single time I've come here, is that what's going to take place is going to be so overwhelming. What's going to take place is going to be so shocking that you will not be able to control what God does. You're going to go, Lord, we're trying to transition out of worship, but we can't. We're trying to end service, but it's rolling into second service. Lord, we're, I feel like we're losing control. God is saying, let the control leave. Can you guys just lift it up a little bit, just a little bit? So with your hands lifted, Jesus, I thank you that before you send us, you gather us. Like you gathered them in the upper room. Lord, I thank you that this morning be a gathering of your people, a people that are saying, Lord, we don't want the normal thing. Lord, we don't want just the copy of a copy. We don't want to just have another church. We don't want to just have another ministry. We want God something that's going to shake the religious system. We want something, Lord, that's going to shake our households. We want something that when people see our lives, they're going to go, man, I just feel, I feel led to make this decision. I, there's something about you that's just causing me to make a decision. So we're going to sing this song and here's what we're going to do. We're going to really give God everything. We're going to sing this song and this is not like a, an altar call just to have an altar call. This is a real confession, a real believing in our hearts that says, Lord, when the whole church is telling us what we're doing is not how you grow a church, God is saying, I'm trying to grow my real church, the ones that are willing to lay down everything. Come on, lift it up.
let's just mean it one last time. And with everything, mean it with your heart. We will for your glory and with every with everything we will for your praise. God, I thank you that you're gonna raise this place that'll be like a center of revival a place that'll be known that these people are very very hungry i get around them and it's contagious their hunger is contagious god raise people that are not interested in just having church but lord want an encounter with jesus so much that our life becomes an encounter in Jesus' name. Can you guys give God a great shout? Give him a great shout.